Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S. Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high-wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mystique behind what it takes to be truly successful from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I want to impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, we're speaking with Mark Bowden, who is a global authority on nonverbal communication and the founder of the communication training company, Truthplane. Mark trains people on how to use their body language to stand out, win trust, and gain credibility every time they communicate. His clients include leading business people, teams, as well as politicians, presidents, and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and prime ministers of G7 powers. Mark has been voted the number one body language professional in the world for two years running, and he's also a best-selling author of four books on the subject of body language and human behavior. His first book, Winning Body Language, has now been translated into five different languages. I'm so excited to talk to Mark about his expertise in body language, as well as learn about the many, many ways you can spin communication. Hey, Mark, welcome to Spin It. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. I really appreciate you uh, hanging out with me. Absolutely. This is going to be really fun. I'm excited to do it. And I want to get right into the content immediately because when I've been reading your bios and looking at all the information, I just continue to get more and more excited. So tell me about your childhood and tell me about how you actually got into what you're doing right now. Yeah. So, so look, you know, I'm an expert in human behavior and body language and I help people all over the world to stand out, to interest, gain credibility every time they communicate. But back when I was a kid, uh, like about seven, seven years old, you know, I seem to remember being obsessed, 1970s it was at the time, so kind of 77, obsessed with the undersea world, like aquatic life. How did that move? Uh, Water movement, uh, animal movement, and especially a guy called Jacques Cousteau, who seemed a very kind of heroic figure. So really, originally, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And though I did study quite a lot in, in biology, and it still helps me with my work today, what happened is I moved from being obsessed with aquatic life into animals in general, and then human beings. Like, how do human beings move? Why do they move like that? What is the impression that their movement makes on the world? How do they influence and persuade? So I got into fine arts and how images influence and persuade people, and then into the business of influence and persuasion and communication. How can you use movement, often on purpose, in order to win trust and credibility and convince people, influence and persuade? And also, how might people be using that on you, either consciously or unconsciously? And I guess that comes into the world of truth and lies and and the impressions that other people might be making on us. So I hope that that helps you understand a little bit about my background. Absolutely. That's great. So so let me ask you, so then here's the next question, because I think I actually got this wrong, because I was thinking about all of the things that you did, and I was looking at, you know, the books, and I was watching the videos, and I was really looking at this. So you intentionally went in for this degree. Ah, well, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I ended up... Um, well, I ended up my studying performing arts, okay, fine arts, okay, but specifically at Middlesex, right? At Middlesex, yeah. Yeah. So specifically in that area, yeah, yeah. It was totally in. in well, was it intentional? Yeah. Look, people. So I'm dyslexic. So uh, I reading and writing 
is different for me. Uh, sometimes the difference is it feels quite difficult and sometimes it feels really easy, but the output or the input is very different from other people's output and input and what they would think is credible reading and writing. So the visual arts area was really, I'm not saying easy, but people said I was really good at it. Like people would go, oh, you can do this. Like you should do that. And I think it's because I, <laughs> I ranked so low on some of the other stuff that, that people would automatically say, well, you know, English and math and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't rank highly in people's minds around that. So really, I kind of ended up partly doing, yes, what I was obsessed around, but also what other people were telling me I was more than good enough at. And when you're a kid, when you're young, that's really important. It's really important when people go, oh, you know, you, you, you can do that, especially when they're telling you what you are an absolute failure at. And I was getting that information as well, what I was an absolute failure at and, and what I was actually ranking quite high in. So, yeah, it was a choice to go into performing arts. And, and it turns out it was a really good choice because in terms of body language, human behavior, and influence and persuasion, what it gave me is some extremely unique insights into that world. And so my first book, Winning Body Language, what I wrote in that book had never been written down before. It had never been done before. It was totally unique. And that's why I think in the, in the area of body language, uh, very quickly, I got some notoriety because people in body language were going, hang on, we've never heard of nobody. This is all new. It's simply all new what's been written down here. Anyway, so I hope that that helps you understand. No, that, that that's actually really great, Mark. And the other thing that I want to say around that is that was one of the things that drew me very quickly to your content was it, it didn't feel regurgitated. It felt like it was actually like, no, no, no. Like, let's take a step back and have a different perspective on on body language and how how you can use it or how it can be used on you. And I was just like very, very lit up. So it's interesting that you mentioned dyslexia because I have two kids that are dyslexic and have dyscalculia. And they did, you know, when they're going through school and you're picking electives and you're picking credits, they do push you towards visual arts because it's less writing and it's less very, very rote memorization or, you know, like tons and tons of reading um, where you're having to actually change your thoughts. And so they did push towards visual arts. So it's interesting that you said that. And my next question that I was going to, I was thinking about asking you is, did you ever have to like overcome any obstacles to get to where you are? And then you started to answer that. So do you want to talk about that anymore? Like some of the obstacles as you were going through school and then maybe kind of in your early career, what are some of the things that happened for you? Yeah. So, so for somebody who is dyslexic, often it's the case that the world is actually full of barriers, full of barriers, because, because our, world, uh, our world is made up of a world of numeracy and a, new, uh, a world of language and, and written numbers and written language. And so, well, imagine a world where you, it's embarrassing to try and open a bank account because you're going to be asked to write down numbers and write down your address and get that right. So, so there's a barrier. So now if you can't open a bank account either because you can't do the numbers or it's embarrassing to say, sorry, I don't read or write, okay, in a way that you would ever appreciate, well, now you're in a cash-only society, and so what's your job now you're in a cash-only society? Well, you could imagine, I mean, what kind of, you know, things you're going to get involved with or how high you can go at, in certain, you know, organisations if you're only accepting, you know, cash and you're just storing cash. So, so the world is full of obstacles for us. And so we find ways of moving around, overcoming and dissolving those obstacles. Those of us that manage to move forward, many of us don't. I mean, it's a real issue. But for those of us that, that own some level of success, usually it's because we found ways around it. I think what I did is, is I realized I had to be very, very creative. And so an example of this would be, I only realized this recently, I've read many, many books, like a whole library of books, and people would know me, I think, as somebody who like knows a lot of stuff, okay? Yes, I concur. 
I'm I'm unsure that I've read it. I'm now unsure that I've read those books because because I think I think what happens is, is I can only pick up elements of it, and then I can I construct what I believe I read. Which is why when somebody says, "Hey, you read that? You've read that book? Yes, I have," uh, and they go, "So, what do you think of it?" and I start talking, they'll often go, "Wow, gosh, no, I didn't. That's an amazing kind of insight to that. Like, I didn't see that." And I always thought, "Okay, it must be that I'm just a better, re- cleverer, or I, you know, they didn't read it properly, or I'm just smarter than them." I don't think it's that at all. I think it's I make stuff up. I just make up what's in there. And because I have some key elements of it and my creativity is pretty good and I'm able to pull strands together that other people wouldn't find, I tend to make up something completely new. And luckily, uh, I'm able to communicate it in a strong enough way that people go, oh, well, that must be that must be right then. No, but you know what, I Mark, I, I really, I actually think that that's true though. Cause like, again, talking back to the kids, you know, they would get this fluency rating and their fluency rating would be so well. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, oh my God, they're skipping sentences. But the way their brain had to work so much faster to get to the, to make sure that they sounded smart or to make sure that they sounded articulate or could at least um, articulate the main idea. They called it like filler sentences. So, you know, from the time that they were younger in high school and they're like, they kind of make up their own story all on their own. I'm like, really? They do that here too, huh? Yeah. And it's a, listen, it's an amazing thing. Like congratulate them because <laughs> it's super amazing what they're doing. You know, if they're doing what I think they're doing, their brain is working so fast, so fast to take in what they believe is happening in the sentence and then to fill it in with other stuff that they know and then to 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 evolve that into a sentence that could make sense to somebody else that somebody else would go oh i totally get this they've been utterly creative and super fast thinking at the same time so i guess what the viewer of a dyslexic might see is somebody being you know pretty interesting and and or just kind of normal underneath that is just some huge gymnastics going on, some mental gymnastics, which are just extraordinary going on. So, so it's it's fascinating that you say that. And I want to come back to now some of the hurdles that you actually have, have gone through with your clients and how the dyslexia has affected the client thing. But I want to talk to you about that really quick because here's the funny thing. When you said that, that is so true. It's actually interesting. I would watch my kids like maybe deliver a presentation or maybe be in a school play and they would get the message out and and then there would be an applause and you would literally see like the, like you would just be like, it's almost like, oh my gosh, I pulled it off. Okay, I did it. Okay, I did it. And you would see this. I couldn't figure out why they were so exhausted at two or three o'clock in the afternoon and why it took so long to get their brains going back into homework again. But they were so tired because- it was like the clutch was pushed in with the gas and they were just like, I made it through another day. <laughs> I stopped a while ago. I kind of stopped answering people's questions because, because people, I would be there with, with clients or at meetings and people would go, um, well, you know, what do you, what do you think of, of X? Because they've got a lack, like they don't know something. They go, well, what, you know, there's a definite lack, and they go, well, Mark, what's what's the answer to this? And I would suddenly start, my brain would go into it and go, okay, well, let's construct an answer to something that they don't know and I don't know. Let's construct an answer, okay? And very quickly, I'd be like, okay, well, here's what's happening, and I construct this thing. And though they wouldn't see it, it would be exhausting for me. Yeah, It's quite a piece of gymnastics. And then the client might go, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it is that. It's like, hang on. You can't, I was like, hang on. You can't now, you didn't know something. And now I gave you something to know. And and then now you're going, yeah, no, not really. So now somebody has a, a gap. I'm just like, okay, I've got some thoughts about that. But, but, but first of all, what are you thinking? So I'm like, okay, you're going to do the work first. Because because I'm not doing this work for you to then 
destroy because it's so easy to take something down and it's so much effort to put something up so before you take anything down my feeling is like do you have the thing to put in its place before you before you dismantle or deconstruct do you have something on the mantle or constructive that you're immediately going to put there and go look take that away how about that there you go how about that (laughs) yeah (laughs) And the, and the funny part is, is, is all those mental gymnastics that you're doing. And then they just basically, they just toss it over and you're like, didn't you call me for a reason? Didn't you want me to fill this gap in somehow? <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, no, I think, you know, I don't want to be, be, you know, too annoyed by it. Cause I had a solution, which is just like, I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yes, I can see, I can see the sweat on your, on, on, on your kid's brow. You know, as yeah, they, it as was they so sad. It was you know? so sad, but now they're big, and now they just own it. Now they're just like, "Hey, just so you know, I'm going to start this with I have dyslexia, so I actually have very crafty ways to think about things." And I'm like, "There you go, you own it." Yeah, 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 exactly. So tell me about how, if if this is now still an obstacle for you in dealing with some of the world renowned clients that you that you have, and you being a world renowned body um, body language expert. Tell me about, has this hindered at all? Has, has this been a hindrance in, in possibly um, connecting with your clients or has it been an actual opportunity for connection? Like walk me through what it is like now. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for connection because a lot of the, what's interesting is as you meet some of these people who are leading quite big organizations, they're pretty, you know, powerful and you go, oh, you know, I'm just let, you know, and you, you suddenly go to write something down for them, go, I'm going to write these down as notes. And I go, and I usually go, so I'm going to write some notes around what you're saying and then we'll put them up. But by the way, just to let you know, when I write stuff down, I'm dyslexic. So sometimes it doesn't, it's not going to come out as you might like to read it. And the amount of people that now go, oh, it's okay, I'm dyslexic as well. And and so it's like, oh, okay, like, how are you getting on? That's good. So there's So there's kind of a little club. So for example, uh, Toby, who runs uh, Shopify, which is a a massive, you know, Canada's largest company, really important company in the world at the moment. Toby is is, uh, dyslexic. I've worked with Toby for years now. And and, and so kind of that's an amazing thing where you go and I, and and it's rare that you meet such an extraordinary mind as, as Toby's because it is like, he says stuff and you're like, wow, where did you get that? Like, I have not, you, you simply go, I go, damn, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? If I thought of that, oh, yeah, I'd be the second richest person in Canada now. Because <laughs> that, that is brilliant. The way that you've looked at, at this ordinary situation, the way that you've framed that, of course, now I understand that framing, of course you've created something extraordinary. Uh, Richard Branson as well, dyslexic, very openly dyslexic. He's he's the same. The way, you know, when, when you're with him, you're hearing him talk and, and the way he's kind of put stuff, the way, well, the way he moves into action, for example. So I'm very action orientated. I'm like, okay, let's, let's do it now and work out whether we've made a mistake. I love that. I mean, I, I just love that. I feel like people get so paralyzed with the analysis of it. And then by then they've they've sucked all of the fun and they've sucked all of the energy out of it. And then it becomes task oriented and then it becomes not fun. And then it becomes a job. I like to like go, like, let's just go do it. Ideas into action immediately. Let's. Right. And so, and so, you know, Branson's thing is, is let's do it. I mean, that's, it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's get it done and let's make the mistakes. Now, of course that's high risk. You know, it's high risk making mistakes. And people often say, <laughs> actually, it's happening in, in an interview recently. Uh, some, the person interviewing me was, was one of the proponents of, of making mistakes. Like, you know, but you've got to make mistakes. You've got to make mistakes. And, and, I, was, and I was like, no, you've got to avoid that. Because anybody who says, hey, you should make mistakes, they clearly haven't had a critical failure. Like the moment you've had a critical failure where everything falls to bits, you're just like, I that mistakes are really dangerous. So there's so there's the idea of making mistakes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally into the idea of making mistakes. In reality, I would rather not. Absolutely. <laughs> Right. And to your point, Mark, so here's the thing. People always ask me these questions. There's like, hey, how do I identify a really strong, because you know, the word coaching is so 
crap right now. Like anybody can say that they're a coach and people come to me often and they say, Stephanie, like, how would you identify whatever, a great executive coach or a great in, uh, uh, entrepreneur coach, or how would you identify a high impact or high performance coach? And I say, you got to talk about their failures and they're like, what? And I go, well, if you talk to coaches, they're always talking about all of their wins. Their, their wins and their, so they haven't gone through the failure. They don't understand how to avoid it. They don't understand the pitfalls around it. I want people that have failed, understand, know, and are able to articulate their failures so it never happens to me. That's what I would like. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, look, I would have a hard job talking about my failures because I'm trying to avoid them. I would suppress them and pretend that they didn't happen and and I would probably tell you, I think I have told people this before, because they they're like, oh, well, you know, how's it how's it go wrong with your clients? It's like, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's not a nobody's paying me for this to go wrong. Nobody, nobody, nobody's paying you, paying you for that. Now, can you have failures in yet? I am totally happy to to use the theater of my imagination and go, and I'm always looking for failures. I'm always going, hey, step away from the curb. Bring your chair forward a little bit. You're going to fall off the edge of the stage. Like I'm constantly going, look, if this happens, then this will happen and this, and, and here's the cascade of failure. So I do have a mind that can branch out and go, here's how it's all going to go right, and here's how it's all going to go wrong. And I can do that pretty rapidly so that that, that ideation of failure and success can happen pretty rapidly. And then I'm like, okay, I, I got this. Let's just do it. Let's just make this thing happen. Yeah, based on a bad idea today is better than a brilliant idea tomorrow. <laughs> Have a bad idea with friends, okay? <laughs> Get together with your, your work colleagues, the people who work best with you, and go, like, what could we get going today that will be could turn out to be a bad idea, but we really think we should get this thing going, okay? Because if we can do it with our friends, it'll happen quite rapidly. And people we think are really good at this, and we're, we're good at cooperating and getting stuff done, we can get it built quite quickly. We can realize it was a bad idea pretty fast. And then we can ideate pretty quickly and reiterate and go, okay, how do we do that? Yeah, pivot and make it better. Whereas the challenger down the road who has no mates, no friends, with a brilliant idea, they can't even get it off the ground. Like we've reiterated time and time again. Now, I know you might be able to find outliers to that, the individual who had the brilliant idea and, and ruled the world on their own. I'm sure there's an outlier out there. But in the, in the mass of the bell curve, it's getting a half-decent idea together today with your friends. And that's really, I mean, really, that's why I'm in this area of communication is how can you bet, how can you reduce friction in those elements, make it super smooth, work quicker. I love that. that and that's, that's exactly why in being a crisis expert, that's exactly why when I get people together, people read things much differently than I read them. So, you know, we, we one of the interviews that I heard you talk about was the crossing of the arms and people saying that it's standoffish. And I, I hadn't even heard you. I hadn't even heard you. And I was like, he's not, he's like, he's nervous. He's trying to like relax. He's trying to like get into a new position. He's trying to, you know, and you were talking about self-soothing and I was like, oh my God, he totally gets it. This is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So look, you know, this gesture here, it could mean all kinds of things, all kinds of things. But and what we've got to know is, is what is the context of it? What are the possibilities? What are the contexts of it? You know, one of the first things you want to do if anybody makes a gesture that you kind of want to know what does that mean is ask them. I mean, most frequently we don't go, hey, what's going on right now? You know, what's it, you know, tell me about this. You know, you could go, you, you know, what's to stop you going? So I noticed we've been talking and you just crossed your arms and there's all kinds of information out there as to what that might mean. But let me just ask you, how are you feeling right now about what we're talking about? You know, isn't that the best way to try and get closer to the truth of what's happening? And of course, there's risk in that. And that's why, I mean, you know more about risk than, than, than most people have, are going to ever know. And so... You know, we're trying to work out what is the risk involved with being clear with our communication and therefore why don't we do it more? The risk is, is we might not like what we hear when we're communicating clearly. 
So, so Mark, let me ask you a question. I have like, I literally have like an entire research document of all the questions that I've asked and I haven't even asked any of those yet because it's just our natural conversation. So I'm so sorry about the time, but this is fascinating for me. So tell me why the people don't ask the question, because let me tell you for me, and, and you nailed it when you said risk. Okay. So let me tell you for me, I mean, before I ran SME, before I was doing human consulting, I ran professional services consulting. So think of like a mini PwC or a mini Accenture, okay? So I, for, and we were in 22 global locations. We're a multi-million dollar corporation. We dealt with, you know, Nike, Motorola, American Express, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So there's often where I'm in a room or maybe a restaurant or something else with a CEO or a CIO or the board or a venture capitalist. And that does happen. They lean back and they cross their arms or, or they, you can see the visceral changes maybe in their, in their eye, their connection, or you might see like a tiny bit of sweat across their brow, you know, and this is just a normal conversation. And so I actually do ask, I actually, I do, I say, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Richard Branson. I don't care if you're Elon Musk. It doesn't matter to me. I want you to feel comfortable. So if I'm doing something to make you feel uncomfortable or something that may make you not want to share, I want to know what I'm doing or what you're going through or feeling right now. And so I do say, hey, I just noticed that you crossed your arms. How are you feeling right now? And they literally go, why? Why do they do that? Yeah, or why tell don't me, people tell ask? me why everybody's so shocked about this question to making to checking in and making sure that somebody else is okay? Well, because it's quite intimate. Like when so 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 when let's just take today, okay? Let's just take today. Um, uh, when today has somebody already asked you how you're feeling? Not nobody. Right. Uh, this week. I had a grocery clerk as they were taking my handy maker say, hey, how are you? And I started to say, and they were like, have a great day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. They are they asked you in that in what we would call a fatic way. It's customary to say, hey, how are you? Your customary answer should have been, I'm great, thanks. Yeah. And you were about to answer it the intimate question, intimate way, going, well, actually, interesting you ask because, you know, the kids are like this and, you know, my partner's like this and, you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah, it's quite rare that this happens, okay? Uh, for some more than others, for some very, very little, it's quite rare. And so, and it's not that we don't like answering the question. It's just, it doesn't get asked a great deal. And it doesn't get asked in a really clear, direct way. Like, I might be able to ask you questions that would elicit your feelings, but you maybe wouldn't quite, no, and I can use those in kind of interview or interrogation to kind of get a sense of how you're feeling or direct answers as to how you're feeling. But it's very rare that somebody would go, in fact, let's 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 do it. Let's see what 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 happens. What happens? So so Stephanie, like how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling completely excited to to interview you. I'm feeling like I want this to be a 15-part series. <laughs> I'm feeling just, I feel I have so much energy from you. So I'm feeling really, really good. Thank you for asking. That's perfect. That's great. That's great. Okay. So, so, you know, notice the information I got from that and it's pretty direct and you didn't just give me one thing there. You gave me a whole bunch of other stuff and context for that. Let me take it. Let me take the conversation a little, a little further. So I'm going to go from feeling to self-reflection. Okay. So that you're feeling so excited uh, having this conversation with me and you're going, hey, you know, I'd like to do this more. This is, what, what do you think that says about you at this current time? Interesting. So let me think about that. What is it that I'm yeah. asking the question? Well, that you're feeling that way, that you're feeling that way about being here with me now and doing, doing what we've been doing. What do you think that says about you as a person? I think that I want to gain knowledge and I think I get other, I think I get energy from other people, especially people that are so passionate about what they do and helping others. And so I feel like I am able to gain knowledge to be able to pass that knowledge on to my clients or to my friends or to my family and be able to pass on a really, really good gem, if you will. Yeah, lovely. Okay, so what that was was a self-reflection question. 
okay? I moved you from feeling to self-reflection, okay? Stephanie, tell me the last time anybody asked you for your view about yourself. I, I, I truly can't remember. No. So that's a very intimate moment for me to go... Take a moment because see what happened. If you if you if you go back and watch this interview, you see your eyes go wow, and the, and it's trying to find your understanding of yourself. And it's not that you don't understand yourself; it's just nobody really very often asks you and asks you, "Hey, talk out loud about your your thoughts about yourself." Okay, but you think about yourself all the time, like we do. We're conscious of ourselves. You know, you are conscious right now of of you being here with me. Like there's you here with me, and then there's you watching you being here with me. So you're conscious of yourself. But but rarely do people go, "Hey, tell me about your consciousness of yourself." So that's that's pretty unique. Well, and I, and Mark, Mark, I think that's so interesting because you know what? I think I asked. So when you're asking me these questions. It doesn't feel, I mean, I feel very good to answer these questions, but this, but this is my job. So this is what I ask, what you're asking people, what you're asking of me, this is what I ask of others in every single client interaction. And so I am cognizant. So when I look up, I'm like, okay, here's my thing. I'm not going to BS them. I'm not going to give them a bunch of fluff. I'm going to ask them directly because that's what I expect of others. So whenever you say all those things, I always, I often put myself in this situation. Sometimes it's a little tough to answer the question about yourself. And, and especially if you're in trouble or especially if you're, if you have done something maybe not so favorable, which brings me to my next question. Okay. Which is with all the stress and how it, how it's so difficult to communicate, especially under stress or in crisis, what are some of the things that you use in dealing with clients that maybe are in a stressful situation or maybe are not, are possibly being a little bit less than truthful. I want to see if they possibly mesh with mine or if I'm able to learn something new. Yeah, yeah, good idea, good idea. Okay, the first thing I always do when I'm trying to get information out of people that I don't expect they would normally want to tell me in whatever situation is I get them to talk about the situation that they're in and I totally align with that. I totally, Creed now that doesn't mean I agree with it. Yeah, I accept it. Yeah. So, uh, so it might look something like, like this, you know, whatever room we're in, where, where, wherever we are, I'll be like, okay, so why are we here? <laughs> so I, so it's like, I want your view on what this is all about. Okay. So it will literally sound like, so why are we here? Or what's going on for you today? Or what, or what do we need to get done? Yeah, so I'm like, I want your attitude on this. And as they start to talk, I'm like, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that's right, good. Yeah, so I'm totally accepting. I'm totally accepting of that. Now, I'm also seeing whether they'll join me in that total acceptance, whether they'll ramp up whatever bad situation they're in or trouble they're in or pain they're in, will they join me on the buoyant acceptance of this situation? So sometimes, look, let me take a bit of an extreme, but sometimes, you know, a client could say to me, oh, well, you know, because my 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 mum died. And so, so yeah, I'll do exactly what you were doing there, which is like, oh, okay. So it's like, I'm totally buoyant about this. Now I'm not going, I'm not going, hey, that is fantastic news. Because obviously it's not, okay? But I am totally up and buoyant for the idea that you're putting forward. Because that's either true or false. I don't know. I don't know whether that, I don't know what they're trying to do by telling me that. Okay. I don't know at this point what's going on, actually. I mean, maybe I do have some facts about their mum, you know, or whatever, but, but I don't know for sure. And I don't know. And the important thing is, I don't know what it means. So there's facts and then what the, what value the facts have and therefore what, what that could mean to somebody's life, you know? And so I want to join them in that, and I want to see whether they're going to join me or I want to see whether they want to be antisocial with me. Because if they'll be pro-social with me, I can help them out. But if they're going to be antisocial with me, then it's nothing, I can't help you. If you won't let me be on your team, if we can't have a gang together, then there's nothing I can do for you. If you're going to fight me, yeah, and I'm here to help you, yeah, so I will be 
utterly buoyant, utterly pro-social about everything, totally accepting, not in agreement, acceptance of what they're saying, yeah? Joining along with that, as I call it, get it I will get in the river with them because that's where the Latin for, for influence comes from, yeah? Influence means inflow, to be in the river with. I'll get in the river with them. So I'll be in a state of influence with them and I'll go, let's go, yeah. And so, so, so Mark, I'm totally going to ask you, like, I'm, I'm not even asking you the right questions, but this is just so awesome. So do you tell them, do you say that to them? Do you say, gosh, I was really, I was really helping, hoping I could help you. I really just, you know, I was, cause, cause you're not, like you said, you're not condoning, you're not agreeing with, you're just present with them. You're, you're with them and, and you're in the feelings with them. Okay. So you're, you're talking to them, but if they are narcissistic or they are antisocial and they are going down that route, do you say this is probably not going to work out? So what I always start off with is that I've helped other people. Okay. So I never say, Hey, I'm going to help you. I'm like, I will often go. So, so I think the reason I'm here is because you know that I've helped these people or I help people in this organization. Anyway, you know, what's up? So then I'm like into, into like, I've laid that down. Okay. I've helped other people. Now let's see if we can be pro-social together. Yes. So, so, so a, a classic example would be, I was working with one client and quickly into it, I was realizing that they were showing some behaviors, which many people would see as antisocial and actually within a behavioral disorder. And so I said, okay, so look, I just want to give you some feedback is that I can't tell whether you love me or you hate me if you want to kill me or you'd like to give me a kiss or you're like, I'm just not, not sure. And I'm worried if that happens with me, you know, I'm worried who else that happens with as well. And the person in, involved literally went, and I mean, with a deadpan face, deadpan face, but said the words, oh no, that's so disappointing. I would never want anybody to feel that. Now he had no emotion when he said that, zero emotion, but the words were absolutely accurate for for the emotional content absolutely accurate for the emotional content. And I said, okay. I said, okay, well, well, tell me more about that. Okay. This person then went on to tell me a story which latched up with the images around it. A lot of stuff fell into to place of, of the reasons why, very good and, and genuine reasons why they have to behave in that way. And they'd actually turned up in a job where that kind of behavior is kind of useful, very, very um, useful. In fact, they were they were in competitive intelligence. So for a very, very large company, they were the secret service for that. They were the head of the secret service for that large company. And their father had been head of a se- an actual secret service. And, and so they'd been brought up with that family. And uh, well, the mother is a different, different story, but there were some issues there as, as well. Anyway, there's an e- example of how when you when you state the the behavior you're experiencing or the world that you're experiencing, and you go, here's what I'm getting. Here's how it is for me. And you go, so tell me about that. There's a mirror that I've just held up. You can go, Mark, you're an idiot. Or I don't, you, you can go, Mark, I don't care. I don't care. So that would be useful information. <laughs> you know, Mark, you're an idiot. Or Mark, Mark I don't care. Well, that's good because that's what I'm trying to do. It's like, great. Now we know. Excellent. Let's 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 see whether I want to move further with this, or see whether I want to go. Okay, well, I won't waste any more of your time. And <laughs> thanks for anyway. I hope that answers your question. And I mean, and, and actually, you know, to your earlier point, like, how does that, you know, mesh up with with what you do or your tools or techniques around this? So it was. It's it's literally. I mean, I'm not a world renowned communication expert or a body language expert, but it, it made me feel really good because that's 
literally identical to what I do. I'm like, I, you know, it's all creating normalcy, creating a place of safety, making sure that you have the proper gestures and you still maintain a boundary, but you're there for them. And you're like, Hey, you hired me for a reason. Here's what I've done in the past. You know, if we can connect on this level, let me be a guide for you. Let me like be a, another mirror. Let me get you to see the signs. And, and that takes me to a couple other questions Tell me, so this is a big joke within my organization. I work with thousands of attorneys all over the globe, okay? And at first, it's a little uncomfortable whenever I go in because they're like, you're not even an attorney. And I'm like, right, on purpose, okay, on purpose, um, number one. And I'm like, number two, I pick up on things because their their job, Mark, is legal. They're to get you through the loopholes, to find those different aspects of the law and get you the very best outcome, right? Okay, but they're not looking at things necessarily from a business perspective or from a life perspective. If this person's going to go away, how are they going to be able to produce revenue for their family? If they're if they're going through a massive crisis, how do we know this lawyer or this legal team or this asset management team or this professional services team is the right team for this individual, their personality, their families, et cetera? So hearing you walk through how you communicate with them made me feel really good because that's exactly what I do in our first couple of meetings. And the the one difference I will say is I do tell them, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I will never leave somebody high and dry. I will never do that. But I will definitely say, I don't believe that I'm the crisis expert for you because I believe that you've been untruthful a few times. And I would love for you to be able to correct that. And I'm not judgmental at all. You could tell me anything in the entire world and I will never, ever judge you. But my reputation and my references and my track record speaks for itself. So don't thwart this communication. Like, let's really have a really good communication because I can help you, I think. That'll either flip them pretty quickly and they'll go, okay, okay. And, the, you know, they have the come to Jesus in their head and they, they'll talk. Or, or they'll continue along with, like you said, a lot of the antisocial personality disorders. And that's just not something I can help. I can refer you, but I can't help that. Yeah, I mean, that's tough work. Like that's, I mean, and I'm not saying you're not with a with a client that is being social with you. It's not tough work, but it's 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 potentially tougher than you than anybody needs. <laughs> you know, and I think, and I think that you know, all all that you're doing there, I think, is just is just proving a client. I think is just going okay. So this person is is going to stand a good chance with me. And, you know, with my methodology and this person over here, just the possibilities go, go down. And also, you know, it strikes me what you, you first of all said was you're looking at a situation that a lawyer might look at as like, we've got to strike this deal. And you're going, well, you know, there's bigger things that happen once this gets done and it, and it moves out. And you're talking about how it ripples out with, with a whole, with, interconnectedness of more people okay it's like okay well this will ripple into the business and then the relationship with that and that and this is this and you're, you're you're thinking about a big network and these things could fall down and if you've got somebody who's being antisocial instead of pro-social there comes a point where you might go i'm not sure that they really care about the bigger picture and so ultimately is my work useful in this Exactly. And you nailed that at the very beginning, whenever you said, you know, you went through all of the different, you know, mental gymnastics of creating this, this vision for a client. And then they're like, mm, I don't think so. So you said it exactly how, what, what I would say is I won't work harder than my clients work. So I'm not, I'm not going to work harder than what my clients do. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be present and I'm going to create normalcy. And I mean, sometimes I'm working a case for a year and it is a tough, tough case because maybe it involves different geographic locations. Maybe there's multiple legal teams involved. You know, there, there's a lot of things that are going on. I need you to be straight with me and I want you to be pro-social so we can figure out the ripple. But if this doesn't mean that much to you and if it means more to me than it does to you, let's just be done, you know? Right. Ultimately, it seems like you're saying, look, you know, when you consult, you care about the bigger, wider connections the, the, and, and the complexity. Like you will care about complexity in, in a way. And most people, it's not they don't care about complexity. It's just really hard to manage complexity. That's all. It's just really hard. It's just difficult. And so if you've got a client who who is coming across that they don't care about 
that. I mean, there's a fair thing of like, I just can't look at it. It's unmanageable because you can go, that's okay because I'll manage that. <laughs> that's what you know, I'll deal with that. But if you've got somebody who's who's ultimately the end of it all go going to go, I don't know why you did any of this stuff because I just don't care. That they go down, I don't care. They were worms anyway. That that fails over there, don't care. They're maggots, okay? If you've got that kind of level of, of uh, it's just me on my own and I need to survive and the bigger picture doesn't matter, your work is pointless. It's anyway. rubbish. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. You are correct. <laughs> you are correct. So yes, I try to avoid those clients with all costs, Mark, all of them. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Can you tell if someone's lying? So, I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, just like you can, just like anybody can go, yeah, come on. That's, that's a lie. Okay. Because, because there is either clear and, and very present evidence and all the nonverbals and verbals to back that up, or you've got, you know, at least, you know, at least, well, two of those. So that there isn't, that I haven't seen the evidence, but I've got clear verbal and nonverbal, or I have clear nonverbal and there's some evidence. So, you know, it's like on that triangulation and a bunch of other things we could bring in as well, that you'd kind of go, you'd go, yes, look, most likely, you know, most likely. And, and when I say most likely, it's because the brain is a knowledge machine anyway. It's a best guess machine. I mean, it's going, it's basically saying most likely gravity will keep on working. Okay. It's just <laughs> exactly. doing, You're like, yeah, it's just, probably good. It's on consistently guessing. And, and so far it's consistently guessed, right. Apart from when I have a few drinks and then it starts guessing wrong. So it's like, it's like, hang on, why do I fall over after a few drinks? Well, my best guess machine starts guessing wrong about fundamental things, okay? So that tells me that tells me that, that it can sometimes misjudge all kind of things. So I will use an intelligence system. I'll bring in information from all over the place. I'll, cr- uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll crunch that information. You know, I have some very good ideas around verbal and non- non-verbal as to what is more important information than others. It's like, well, there's a lot of non-verbal information. Yeah, but just look at this. <laughs> right. This we just need this here. one. Just if we have that one, that does the work of the other 10. Okay. So that so there is an element of experience and science around what bits are more important than others, but ultimately I'm guessing just like anybody else, I'm just smarter with my I mean not smarter with my guessing, I'm more accurate with my guesses. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's that's all. That's amazing. So I want to be super super respectful of your time, and I know that we only have five more minutes. It went so quickly. Like, I literally have so many more questions. It's good fun. It's good fun to talk about what you like. Yeah, it, it's it's just, it just, well, first of all, it always is good for me from a learning standpoint. Like, I love to learn and I love to also pivot in the way that I, that I not only teach, but that I train. And I always am... I love to learn from people that have just, this is their job. This is their profession. I love to be able to go, oh, I need to change this way of thinking or get a different perspective. So I, I just want to thank you. I just have two more questions if I can. Yeah, go for it. Okay, great. Yeah, cool. So, cool. um, so if you're, if you're in a situation, cause this, this happens to me quite a bit and, and generally I have to be completely transparent. It's usually public. Okay. So this generally happens to me where somebody is having, there's two things, a complete and total meltdown. They have either been presented with something very publicly and they're getting ready to spin out of control because it's either very, very true or very, very not. Usually it's the same reaction, especially when it's public. So my first question is, how do you calm a situation without a ton of words, but more from a persona and an active body language situation? So get them to mirror me. So for me to do calm breathing, for me to be calm, for me to slow things down, okay, and be close enough to them and where they can see me. So my behaviors are so consistent and so clear that their body can't help but follow mine, okay? And also the body feels better when it's following mine. 
Now, at the same time, so that doesn't always work because sometimes their their panic or their emotional explosion or whatever you want it, whatever it feels like or is, sometimes that is a way of hiding. Sometimes it's a barrier. Yeah. And so sometimes you might have to call that out. So you're kind of using some elements of prediction and judgment to go, I'm not sure whether that's real panic. Okay. So I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to say, hey, don't hide. Don't hide right now. Okay. You got to go out there. You got to go out there. You got to be calm. You got to be confident. Okay. And you get, here's what you're going to do. Okay. So, so again, I'm going to call out, like, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. You can't, because otherwise I'm not going to facilitate their usual ways of getting away with this. Okay. In their, in their usual ways, because, you know, not, you know, this might be a usual pattern for them. Right. And you have to, and you have to understand that and you have to know that. And I'm really glad that you said that because a lot of times when people are freaking out and they're screaming and they're yelling and a lot of cussing and a lot of people get involved, I get very, very quiet and I almost get to right above a whisper and then everybody else starts doing it. So I'm, I'm trying to connect and I'm like really, really calm. And they're looking at me like, first of all, is something wrong with you? Cause you're super calm. And I'm like, stay with me. Let's do this together. And it's a lot of eye contact. It's a lot of engaging and it's a lot of redirecting that false emotion or true emotion, whatever the pattern is looking like it's going to create. Have a look at, um, there's a brilliant interview uh, R. Kelly and Gail, her second name has jumped out of my head for some reason, but it's R. Kelly and and and, and Gail, and she is the anchor, the, the the interviewer. He he, you know, some of what he's doing is is just him being passionate, and some of it he starts to perform essentially to distract from the questions being asked because they're quite important, provocative and important questions. Gail just holds it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just brilliant because he really is at one point really going off. He's getting to the stage where you go, is he going to throw something? Is he going to toss a chair? Is he going to, is he going to, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And she does not budge. And so he locates himself back again in front of her because he knows She's not going to follow him. He's not the leader now. She's the leader. And she can hang on to her behavior longer than he can hang on to his behavior. And so that's often the, the, the way that I take it is I go, I bet I can be calm longer than you can hold this tantrum. I bet I, I, bet I, can, I, bet I can outrank you on, the, on this. And you'll have to join me. Gosh, Mark, this has been, I love it. This has just been so, I could really talk to you for so long and I cannot thank you enough. Like this has just been so informative and you're such a joy and a pleasure. And like, it's just great. I just love it so much. So thank you so much for coming on. And um, if people are wanting to find you or people wanting to learn more from you, where can they find you? Yeah, just Google Mark Bowden. Mark Bowden, put it in there. You'll find me or Truth Plane, my company, T-R-U-T-H-P-L-A-N-E, Truth Plane. You'll find me there. Find out about me. My email is there. Email me, link in with me, whatever you want to do. Oh, that's really, that's great, Mark. Thank you so much. And I really would love to do this again with you very soon. Of course. Of course. Anytime you like. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.